Who you trying to get crazy with this scene? Don't you know I'm local? I guess we'll we'll start. Uh, we're back. What's up? Hi. Oh my god, are we gonna have to Hi. redo that again? Wait, wait. You've never <laughs> edited out the these and the they all sound awkward. Even I know, it's cuts. so funny. I think they're hilarious. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Liquid Courage podcast. I can't believe we've made it so far. We've been really flattered by all of the feedback and people participating in conversation on Guildsom and on Reddit. It's been really great. So I'm excited to see what everyone has to say about today's topic because uh, it's going to get a little contentious. I think it's going to be fun. It, it will be fun. So today we're talking about food and wine pairing. It, food and wine pairing on its surface seems like it can't be subjective, right? This goes with this, and there's the physiology of taste. But in actuality, it is very subjective. And I thought it would be interesting if we could talk about our individual styles when it comes to food and wine pairing. And also, um, we're going to have a little bit of a food and wine pairing showdown in the latter half of the episode where we were all given the same menu and the same wine list and the same service scenario. And we had to pair wines within a budget for that. But first, I just wanted to start off with maybe something fun and Maybe if you guys could tell me the story of your food and wine pairing epiphany. So, Troy, if you want to. Food and wine pairing epiphany, I mean, it, it sounds a little bit later in my grand scheme of education. But as I was studying for my advance, late one night when I got out of service, uh, Jason Caballero gave me a call and uh, said, do you want to go grab an In-N-Out burger? So we went to do that <laughs> like at one in the morning, and he had a bottle of uh, Domaine Tempier Rouge in the car. And so we popped that bottle, and it was probably one of the best pairings I think I've ever had. Wow. Yeah, a little bit random, and, you know, it wasn't really planned. It was just, you know, a cool night, and the pairing just went perfect with a double-double. Uh, I love double-doubles. Cheeseburgers have pretty wide pairing capabilities. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not this, you know, it wasn't a michelin star experience at all. It was just in the front of a fast food restaurant and some red Solo cups. Nice. All right, Daniel? <laughs> uh yeah well similar sim well not similar at all actually but it was fairly recent i was out at dinner at a mediterranean middle eastern restaurant in my neighborhood and uh i remember ordering a variety of different dishes but lamb was the central focus of the dinner so i thought hey i might as well pair a syrah against this right i can't remember the bottle it was probably like paul chabelet crow's hermitage but uh i remember Growing up, I hated lamb. I thought it was like musky and it tastes sweaty and I hated the flavor of it. And so when I started drinking wine, I never really liked Syrah. But I remember saying, what the hell, we're, we're eating lamb, let's drink some Syrah. And it was like the craziest experience. I just, it just accentuated the flavor of the lamb in a, in a really cool way. And I remember just like smiling and reclining in my seat and like, you know that scene in Ratatouille where uh, the food critic's eating the ratatouille and he like goes back to it. It was like it wasn't quite that intense, but I remember just being with the flavors and feeling like this crazy Zen experience. It was super cool. So yeah, I mean that's probably the moment where I realized there's actually something to it. 
I guess at least emotionally, you can have like a crazy experience. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting how this is kind of deviating, but when you're a child, the things that you really dislike carry over until you're much older and it it takes something really extreme to kind of get you out of hating that thing. Like for me, it was coconut. <laughs> I, I used to uh, hate coconut. What do you, how do you feel about it now? I love coconut. Uh, I, I, I mean, I eat it all yeah. the time. Yeah. So for, for me, the, the recent thing in life is uh, COVID has made me learn how to appreciate and enjoy eggs. You didn't like eggs? My whole life. You. Your whole life you haven't eaten eggs. Yeah, I swear. I, and all of a sudden, I, I love them now. Yeah. Fun fact. Insane. When you wow. reheat French fries, what do you put over the top of them in the morning? Jeffers, I've never reheated French fries. I'm not a quitter. <laughs> you haven't reheated French fries for breakfast with an egg on top? No, I finished my French fries. What am I, a terrorist? If you have like <laughs> steak fries that are like the big kind, and then you saute them the next morning with onions, and you put a over easy egg over the top of it, and then the partially cooked yolk spills out all over the oh man, it's so good. Your first mistake was getting steak fries. That's why there were leftovers. I guess so. That makes sense. I would say my probably my first epiphany was so long ago that I can't remember it specifically, but um, I will say that a more recent one was um, I was in Argentina eating grass-fed beef and having like well-made Malbec and really understanding why um, a mild pyrazine character together with like the kind of rustic character of grass-fed beef just goes so well together. Wow, I never thought of making that connection between grass-fed beef and like a pure inequality in a wine. Yeah, I mean, when you think about grass-fed beef, it's really well done. It kind of has that earthy character that's, you know, a huh. little bit grassy. I mean, not, not specifically, but those two things, especially a mild, I'm not talking about, you know, in-your-face Carmenere, but like a mild Malbec pyrazine is kind of interesting. It was also, I think, having well-made Malbec after years and years of the U.S. being flooded with <laughs> $7 Malbec. Garbage, yeah. It, you know, I think those, it was maybe two epiphanies in one. Wow, yours was so romantic, and Troy's just, like, eating a burger out of the back of the car. What? I think when he's eating a burger and <laughs> drinking wine in a car with Jason, that's pretty, that's pretty romantic. I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Isn't that funny, though? I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like a food and wine pairing doesn't have to be this you know, this, this glamorous, euphoric experience. It could be just a memory. Right, yeah. So my epiphany was actually also paired by Jason, funny enough, just to give context to listeners. Jason is a mentor to pretty much all of us. Um, so I was at the restaurant that Jason was working at. He had invited me and my other sommelier friend, Catherine, to come in to eat dinner. And one of the courses was a cream of mushroom soup, not in the disgusting viscous Campbell's way. It was like actually nice mushroom soup. And he paired it with Circeal Madeira. And it rocked my world. The wine was salty and acidic and oxidative. And it was just perfect with the soup. It complemented the mushroom notes. And I just never really think of wine and soup ever. It's not something I think pairs necessarily well with wine, but the flavors were just amazing. And 
that kind of dried mushroom character was it was it was unbelievable it was explosive in my brain in my mouth but i'll edit that out right there (laughs) jean-claude van damme's on your mind i can tell fuck yeah but that that's definitely that and that came later in my life too because i started studying wine when i was i was 18 and so i didn't really get to have a lot of food and wine pairing until you know years into my my studies so i had to have been 22 it was like two years ago that i had that pairing and it was like holy shit this is great that's so cool i don't think i've ever even had wine with soup i'm missing out right i never thought that my food and wine pairing epiphany would have been with soup (laughs) yeah but i think it's more the idea of mushrooms i mean there are so many great things you can do with mushrooms as a vehicle when pairing with wine yeah and and also i i'm i'm rarely served dry madeira you know it, it was just not something that i expected and it was amazing and beautiful and thank you jason for pairing that for me cuz i i obvi- it obviously impacted me i still remember it uh till now so um we're going to get into a little bit of food and wine pairing philosophy before we jump into the pairing showdown and so the first question i want to bring up is what role should wine play in a meal and should wine ever be the star? And I'm actually going to take this question first with a very hot take that I know is going to upset some people, but the wine's job is never to be the star of a meal. Fight. No, are you going to start by defending or are you going to throw it out there and then just stoking a fire? I'm getting us ready for later in the episode now. So I'll, I'll defend it. So, the wine's job is to alter the palate so that food tastes better or more like itself or more balanced. Um, and whenever I'm curating a wine list or I am pairing wine with food for a guest, I'm thinking of how can I use this wine to enhance the food? Um, not to say that wine can't be a star. I mean, there are tons of wines that I think are beautiful and can be drank by themselves, but in a food and wine pairing scenario, it's never the wine's job to overshine the food ever. And uh, yeah, that's my, that's my logic. Now fight. <laughs> All right, I'm coming in hot here on you. So this is, I would say I agreed with you until you said ever, because why shouldn't some people want to like to make it such a hard and fast rule that it's never ever is where you kind of lost me because i personally have gone out to eat lots of times where i chose the wine list first and kind of made sure that there would be something that i could eat with it afterwards what i've never done that i love when people come in and they're like let's figure out the wine first and then we'll figure out what we're gonna eat after i understand it's rare i'm it's probably a tiny minority but to, to ask whether it should ever be the star, if you love wine the way the four of us love wine, I would absolutely say that you can start an experience with wine and have the food fill in around it. I mean, these two things are supposed to go together. So I don't go out to a wine list if I don't think I'm going to be able to find something to eat. But I've definitely chosen a place to eat or a, a wine based on the wine that I wanted and then filled in the food after. Totally. I mean, if you look at a place in Florida, I mean, you go to Burns for um, a lot of people go to Burns for the wine, not the food. Right. And another example of this to flip it on its head 
is there was a restaurant in Chicago that's been closed down for a few years now, uh, Charlie Trotter's, right? Mm -hmm. So Charlie Trotter was famous for building food around the, around the wine. Right, but I mean, okay, so I understand that there are restaurant concepts that pride themselves on having stellar wines, but when we're talking about food and wine pairing, so maybe I shouldn't have said when I'm curating a list, but when I'm pairing wine for a guest at a table, I don't pick a wine that's, I, maybe I'll pick a wine that's interesting, but the, I'm picking a wine with the intention of its impact on the palate to therefore impact how the dish is perceived. Yeah, no, I, I think that's the right way to pair. But I think I think that's more a conversation about, I mean, I think it's just semantics. If That's a conversation about making sure the wine matches the food. But I, when you say the wine should never be the star of the show, I, I think more in terms of you should never have, I don't know, I, I, I feel like the wine should sort of be the star as far as you're getting the coolest bottle you can with the best story or the best fit for these guests. And so I think the bottle inherently becomes the star of the show because it's the sort of central focus of the course in some way. It's like it's a brand sitting on a table. So maybe maybe the wine's not overshadowing the flavors and the food. I think that's just because you selected a, a good wine to pair. But I feel like that's kind of why wine pairing is cool is because you're, you're it's like, trading baseball cards and you're trying to find the the coolest the coolest one to show to a guest i mean there's a lot of people who go to a restaurant who want the wine to be the star of the show and it's your job as a sommelier to make sure that that occurs bingo yeah it's got to be about the like what does the guest want for an the experience? guest want yeah it's always the truth that's that's it i'm not denying that what's paramount is what the guest wants but in the role of food and wine pairing, I never want the wine to overshadow the food. I think it's it's important to understand what is the purpose of pairing wine with food? To enhance both the flavors. Yeah, it's, to make the food, the food the food on the wine, but the wine on the food. So to say one yeah. is the star of the show over the other is really perception. Okay, yeah. I yeah. guess so. But I, I would say, and this is gonna be this is gonna piss so many people off. I don't yeah, think piss them off. I'm trying to think of a scenario in which the food is complementing the wine and not the wine complementing the food. The wine is there to enhance the food. And I'll talk about this later with my top three do's and don'ts of wine pairing as far as what order you should put things into your mouth, right? But it's not, a, ste a steak doesn't enhance a California cab. A California yes, cab enhances a steak. Oh my God. No. You don't think the grass-fed beef that I just talked about enhanced the Malbec? No, I think the pyrazinic quality in the Malbec enhanced your perception of the grass-fed tones in the beef. I think you're losing track that it's harmonious, though, because take the fat yeah. and the ribeye and take tannin and the cabernet. What does it do to each of those? Tannin dries out the mouth, so when you take a bite of your fatty steak, it enhances the perception of the fattiness and the richness. I 100% get that, but that's arguing my point. No. So it works both ways. So the, so when you take a bite of a fatty ribeye and your mouth is coated in all that fat and oil and grease, right? And all that fat, those proteins are stuck to your mouth, that tannin helps wash that heaviness away. Right. And it's also balancing out the steak. Yes, harmonious. It's not one or the other. It's both. 
But the wine is doing all of the balancing. That's the point of pairing the wine is to balance out the food. That's why you pair off. No, you can argue the food is also help balancing out a young, early tannic Cabernet. Well, you shouldn't be drinking young, early tannic Cabernet. But now you're sidestepping the question. Well, (laughs) go (laughs) Go back to your own example. I mean, isn't dry Madeira priming you for mushroom? Isn't yes. And it isn't is. the mushroom bringing out the characteristics in the Madeira that you may not have noticed without? I mean, those two things go together. It's a, it's a synergy. It's a one plus one is more than two situation. And you can't say that one is the star or should always be the star. I I get what, I get what you guys are saying. But I mean, the Madeira is a perfect example. And I feel like every example you guys are giving me is actually defending what I'm trying to say, which I think is maybe being misconstrued, which is that the wine alters the palate to enhance the perception of the food and the food doesn't alter the palate to enhance the perception of the wine. I, yes, I just, does. that's I, no. Okay. All right. If, if you took one, two, three, four bites of steak of fatty, rich ribeye, okay. you would want some sort of acidic thing to wash that richness away to give you a fresh bite. Right. But that's the wine altering the fattiness of the food. It's balancing out the food. That's what I'm saying. The food is also complementing the wine, though. By making if, it if you went into a, If you went into a restaurant and you said, man, I really want this wine. This is a wine I've heard of. This is a wine that my friends drink. I'm going to go in there and spend this 100 or $200 on a bottle of Napa Valley Cabernet. Then you would ask yourself, if you knew the wine, if somebody had described it to you, the sommelier, whoever it might be, Okay, what food would go good with this wine? How do I, you know, there, well, there's certain elements of high tannin. It's got high alcohol. You need something that has richness to it to pair with this wine. That's where the wine is the star of the show in the pairing. But it's still a harmonious, yeah, it's still a harmonious relationship. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not doubting that relationship is harmonious. It's just the idea of, you know, what roles each one is playing. But I, I get what you're saying. I would say you could try to build a meal around a wine like 04 Valdecava. And mm. shouldn't, shouldn't that be something that you could do? Like, I'm going to bring you three different small plates of, you know, different central Italian food. And each one is going to bring out a different aspect of 04 Valdecava. And 04 Valdecava is the star of that portion of the meal. But isn't it about showing the versatility of the wine and its ability to enhance different foods. That's how I'm viewing it. Like I've I've gone to dinners and things for like Dom Perignon, for example, for a vintage release, and they'll have food pairings. And for me, the idea is look at the pairing capabilities of this Dom Perignon and how it can enhance or um, mute certain characteristics in a food setting. And maybe it's because I come from a cooking background, but that's kind of my perspective on it. Wasn't the Dom Perignon the star of that show? Well, it was an event for Dom Perignon. So, but the idea is with the food and wine pairing, it wasn't the, the, the job of the food wasn't in to enhance the Dom Perignon. The job of the food was to show to me as a buyer that this can pair with a wide range of different dishes because of its ability to alter the food. Right. Yeah. I, I'm kind of, I see both sides and I think there is interconnectedness, but listening to Laura, I'm kind of 
leaning in her direction right now. Not that I don't think they have a they have an inner interplay in the relationship, but I if you think of wine or think of just beverages as refreshments, right? It's like if you're if I'm eating a cheeseburger and I drink a Coke, uh, I'm drinking the Coke because the acidity washes the richness of the burger away, and it makes me want to take another bite of a burger, right? So that's kind of there it's just depends on the lens you're looking through it like because now when i think of the example i gave earlier with the lamb and the syrah when i tasted the wine i wasn't tasting the wine to take another bite of lamb i was tasting the wine and then sitting back and enjoying the flavors and so the interplay between the lamb and the syrah made both of them better so i i think it's just the lens you choose to look through they're both true at the same time wow the only yeah. the only issue really, i have is that was really great it should never be the star. That was the only issue that I had. I think there's time, there's plenty of times I personally, and I understand I'm in the minority would choose to build a meal around the wine. And I think wine could be, could be a star. I, I never even where I am in my career now. I mean, I always look at the wine list first, but I, I won't choose a wine until I've decided what I'm eating. It's weird. I'm I'm more in the boat with Jeffers where weird. if 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 I'm going out to spend money on a meal and, and going out with friends, I would rather look at the wine list first and then see if they have the food to complement it. I'm going to say I'm 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 standing by what I said, which is that the wine's job is to complement the food, similarly to how Daniel just talked about Coke and a burger, but we'll move on to the next question. And that's what are your top 3 do's and don'ts of pairing? I have mine written out here and I think just based on the conversation we already had, this is going to be controversial as well. <laughs> so uh, how about we start with Jeffers? Sure. So I have one that's kind of a do and a don't because I want to do it if it's right, don't do it if it's wrong. I don't want ever want the f intensity of the wine to be out of place with the intensity of the food. So if you have an intense flavored dish, I want to have a fairly intense flavored wine. And if you have a very subtle dish or a subtle wine, I, I don't want to ever mismatch that. So my do is just match intensity to intensity. Don't um, overpower one to the other. I would say for other dues, find out what the guest wants and that trumps anything, including my first do and don't. Um, if they want to have, you know, Cabernet with salmon and you give them a little nudge as to why that might not be the best pairing, but they still want to do it, just do it. Um, and last, I think is, you know, be conscious of price for pairing. You know, if you have the world's best pairing of champagne and caviar, but, you know, or champagne and French fries, but people don't want to pay for the champagne that you have, then find them something else that would work almost as well, but be conscious of budget. Okay, Daniel. That's top what three, I did too. Top three do's and don'ts. We'll yeah, go for it. Cool. Well, these, well, I'm not going to pretend like these are uniquely my own. These are what I've learned through time from, um, from other sommeliers I've worked with, but a big one, um, is pairing tannin and fish oil. And the way I learned this lesson was actually Jason, um, was my wine director at a, a former restaurant and he had me taste fish oil off of a demi toss spoon, which was already disgusting. Ew. And then he had me chase it with Nebbiolo and I, it was the most foul <laughs> experience ever. It was like having a handful of pennies in my mouth. 
and I'll never forget it. And it, it's awful. So it's like metallic. The sommelier's version of the cement mixer where you That's have <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty bad. So yeah, that's one. Um, pairing dry wines with dessert is another. I, I know some people do it like red wine with chocolate. I've just never, I've never enjoyed it necessarily. I just think the wine should be sweeter. And in my experience, it's, it's just helped, you know, how acidity helps amplify flavor and keep it the length on your palate. I feel like sugar does the same thing with desserts if the wine's sweeter. Um, and then the other one is actually not a wine related. I just said pairing cocktails with food. I, I just don't think high alcohol in that capacity really works terribly well. Obviously there are cocktails oh. that would work well, but I'm thinking like, I don't know. I love old fashions. They're like my favorite cocktail. I'll drink them everywhere, but I just, in the context of eating food, it doesn't, I don't feel like it matches. Yeah. All right, Troy. Yeah. I mean, mine aren't revolutionary by any means. And I kind of took the, the guest perception out of this. This is just strictly food and wine pairing philosophy. I mean, tannin and fat go great together, uh, RS and spice. And then if you're lost on just general rules, just fall back on what grows together, goes together. Daniel and I were playing a fun game when Laura, you sent us the prompts for, uh, for the podcast and what we were going to be speaking about. We were just firing off, you know, random food that we would pair with wine. And uh, that's ultimately what we kind of fell back on. If we couldn't figure something out, where does it sound like it's most likely from? And then kind of work the wine that way. And then don't, Dan and Daniel touched on this, tannin and fish do not go together. Um, spice and high uh, ABV. And then uh, another don't that I think is overlooked often is uh, pairing a wine with food where the weight or body doesn't match. Right, yeah. I'll go on to my do's and don'ts. I kind of was a little bit more uh, opinionated with mine. You guys are doing like actual, don't do this with this. Um, my first do is you should pair sparkling rosé with everything. Um, sparkling rosé is the best and most versatile wine, one of the best and most versatile wines on the planet, and nobody can tell me otherwise, unless it's, sweet sparkling rosé prosecco in that case i'm not referring to those wines my next do is uh to take the context of your company into consideration so i passed my certified oh my god it was a year a day ago i think which is crazy to think about um, Happy anniversary thank you so Afterwards, because my mom came out to be with me when I took the test, because she, to take the test, because she's amazing. And we went to dinner that evening. And my mom was like, pick any wine that you want. We'll drink whatever you want. And so when I was picking the wine, I, I could have very easily picked something that I liked that my mom didn't. But to me, what, have, what made the wine great was picking a wine that I know my mom would also enjoy. And so don't shoot me, but we drank a Molo Merlot. And my mom loved it. And because my mom loved it, I loved it. And I was sharing this beautiful evening with my mom. And I know that a lot of the masters were in the same restaurant and they probably saw what bottle I ordered and maybe were a little <laughs> taken aback by what I chose to drink. In my defense too, this selection was very limited. We were at a casino in middle of nowhere, but 
um, that's what made the wine great, and that's why it was a great pairing uh, for for the meal. So, context of the company is very important. I love it. I, I was about to just start roasting you for fun, but no, I think that's great. <laughs> but I think... and I, yeah, I still have the bottle in my apartment, you know, because it, it's the first wine I drink as a certified psalm, other than the champagne that they give you, and you know, it was, it was, it was perfect for that reason and for no other yeah. reason. And I can't well, think of another circumstance sharing. I would drink a Wagner family Merlot, so. Shots fired. Shots fired, bam, bam. All right, um, I talked about matching wine with the uh, intensity of the food. Here's uh, another one that no one mentioned. Don't put the food and the wine into your mouth at the same time. I This is one of my biggest pet peeves on planet Earth. When people are shoving food into their mouth and simultaneously chugging their wine, it's just disgusting. And this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, which what role does wine play? Wine's job is to alter the palate so that the food tastes better, different, more like itself, whatever you are looking to do. Take a sip of wine, coat your palate, swallow it, take a bite of food. The only thing I was going to say was that I had never wanted to agree with you more than when you said that spark, dry, sparkling rosé goes with everything. You've never wanted to disagree with me more? Because we're about agree, to fight. Agree with you more. Oh, I never okay. wanted to agree with that. you more. I know that it's very hard for me for those words to come out of my mouth. <laughs> well, I don't I think I've ever it. heard it. I appreciate it. All right. The time has come for the pairing showdown. So in this segment... We were each tasked with selecting the best pairings for the following menu from the same wine list. We're going to debate them and justify our decisions to each other. So I'll paint the, the scenario for everyone listening. So the restaurant's concept is an upscale, trendy, family-style Asian fusion restaurant. Restaurants that I took inspiration from for this, Mission Chinese Food, Chinese Tuxedo, Major Domo, Roy Choi, Best Friend. So kind of think in that realm. Here's the profile of the table and the guests that you're serving. It's a party of six, and the table is comprised of a mother, a father, who are in their mid to late 60s, and their three adult daughters, one of whom who has brought their husband. The daughters range between 21 and 30 years old. While they're not celebrating anything in particular, they all live in different states and do not get to see each other often. Some preferences that the guests have noted for you. The dad likes rich, fruit-forward red wines just like every other dad in America. The mom likes Savion Blanc. The daughters are open to drinking anything. And the husband prefers beer, but he's willing to drink wine because he realizes he's not footing the bill. But the table has made note that it, despite their preferences, they are open to trying new things. The guests have specified that they want you to pick the best wine. However, it's more about picking the best wine for the meal and not necessarily the best wine for the food. Their budget for wine is $700 for the six of them. Okay, so we were all given the same wine list. We use the wine list from Foreign Cinema because I think it's very well-rounded. While it's not necessarily for a Chinese or Asian restaurant, uh, I think that there was enough of a selection that we could pick something interesting. The only rules were you have to stay within the $700 budget and that the pairings had to come from the given wine list. That doesn't exclude beer and liquor. If you wanted to do tea, you can. 
we could do whatever you want. If you want to do all bottles, you could. If you wanted to do by the glass, you could. If you want to do multiple bottles per, per course, you could. So pretty open-ended. Anything you guys want to say before we get into our pairings? Yeah, I would like to say that dad is going to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to oh, be happy. No. But, uh, but here's the other side. Well, yeah, I, I took a lot of liberties here and whatever. They're going to be stoked. Wines are delicious. And all the women are going to be happy. So the dad will ultimately be happy. I tried to make the dad happy too, figuring that he's probably going to sign for the tip. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's maybe that's presumptuous, but I failed today, but not fully because the wines are delicious. Just to set this up for everyone, Daniel was talking so much shit in our group chat before we recorded (laughs) this episode about how amazing his pairings are, specifically his dessert pairings. They're dope. So if it's not, if it's (laughs) it's not amazing, Daniel, I'm going to be pissed. I feel like he was just, he was trying to intimidate us. He was trying to psych the rest of us out. Oh, I was just, I was specifically just psyching Laura out. Oh, uh, yeah. But, well, I, I don't too. know how to read because it says here, dad, dad likes rich fruit forward red wines. And I read it as dad likes rich fruit forward wines. So whatever. I don't care. Let's go. <laughs> So this is how it's going to work. It's family style, which I mentioned earlier. So I'm going to read what the table is enjoying for course one, and then we'll all give our pairings for course one. I did an aperitif as well. Did anyone else do an aperitif? I did, yep. Daniel, Troy? No. 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 Okay. So then I'll, I'll start with my aperitif, which I'm very happy about. My favorite, the love of my life, Igliorie Brut for the table, a bottle, just to kick things off since they don't see each other very often. I think it's a good way to start the meal. What's your aperitif, Jeffers? Uh, I went similar. I wanted to do uh, champagne because I think it's a great uh, aperitif. I actually went with the Veuve Fournay Brut Nature from your crew. I think that Brut Nature is not necessarily the best pairing for everything, but I think it's a great aperitif. I think it really kind of gets people excited to eat food. I would argue that I wouldn't want to have Brut Nature without food. That's completely fair, but I think it's it's something that makes you look forward to food. Yeah. Okay, so course one. Here is everything on the table. An avocado salad with carrot and lime ginger dressing. A spicy watermelon salad with watercress, Korean pepper, and hot pepper dressing. Green tea glass noodles with ginger, scallions, sweet hoisin, and pickled vegetables. All of these dishes are cold, and again, they're all being shared by the entire table. So we'll start with Troy. What did you select for this course and why? Okay, so uh, for the mother, I went with the Nicolas Jolet flight. So the first glass of wine she's going to have is the Le Vuclo. Uh For the table, they have a bottle of J.J. Prume, Valener Sunner Cabinet. For dad, I picked a glass of Hayden Fig Pinot Noir, and for the other husband of the daughter, a glass of Scrimshaw Fort Bragg Pilsner. Huh. My man. I did not do individual pairings for people. That's Troy's I did. badass. Oh, Troy's shit. a badass. <laughs> All right, explain uh, yourself. Okay, so the philosophy behind this strategy throughout the entire meal for me is the cuisine. You have probably the most temperamental and unforgiving cuisine on the planet. There's often sugar, heat or spice, 
and then a combination of salt and vinegar in almost every single course or meal. And those are probably the most temperamental ingredients to deal with when pairing with wine. So there's not a lot of fatness or richness. So they need something a little bit more lean. And with the wines that the mom and dad gave you, the full-bodied rich uh, red and the, uh, the mom with Sauvignon Blanc, I took some liberties. I, I kind of assume New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. We're in America. It's probably the most popular Sauvignon Blanc. So mom likes high acid. Dad likes low acid. In addition to that, I also took the liberty of making note that they seem like novice wine drinkers. This menu needs to be defended. And what I mean by that, if you start pairing these wines that don't make sense, you're going to end up probably making the food experience worse for them because of the wine. It's a great point. So if you start to pair wines that don't make sense, you could ratchet up the heat on the food that was meticulated to be, hey, the chef wants this amount of spice in the food. I need to be cognizant of that. Otherwise, I can make the spice way hotter than the chef intended and ruin the actual food or increase the alcohol in the wine. So I went about this diplomatically in pairing for not only the individuals, um, mm-hmm. but also in defense of the food. Well, the only the only thing that I would say is it's interesting that you started dad off course one red wine right off the bat. He told me he likes red wine, so I think I would be offending the person who tells me that they like red wine, and not only red wine, big, rich fruit for red wine. I could assume that he likes oak, so I'm starting him off with a lighter-bodied red from the New World that has a light amount of fruit, a low amount of oak, and a low amount of tannin. Well, I would also worry about the alcohol content clashing with the hot pepper dressing on the watermelon salad. Oh, there's there's no way out with with spice in this with with his direction. I mean, it's it's going to be really challenging to to walk through this whole meal. Um, but Hayden Fig, we're talking a wine that I think has maybe on the top end thirteen percent. Hmm. All right, Jeffers. Try. I have to say that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, I did something a little similar. I did. So the first thing I wanted to do is set comfort level for the mom and dad. Uh, so I brought uh, some Domaine Mardin Quincey Sauvignon Blanc for the mom just to have a glass. And then for the dad, this is kind of a setup for the whole meal. I brought out uh, a bottle of uh, La Spinetta Barbera d'Asti. Um, nice. So this is going to be, my thoughts here are that it's low tannin. It's going to be fairly fruit forward, maybe not super fruit forward, but um, so low tannin because there's going to be fish later in the meal, but it's also a Barbera that's barrel aged. And so I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of comfort level that the dad is going to have with this wine compared to other things that I believe that he's probably had in the past and enjoyed. I'm setting up the comfort level of the uh, son-in-law by bringing him Salty Angel Gosa, um, which I think the salty notes are going really well with some of the um, salads and stuff that's going on in the first course. Uh, and then for the ladies, I brought out a, a carafe of Kerner. It's the Putzenhof from Alto Adige. Not super neutral, but it's going to be lower in alcohol. I uh, don't want this to overpower any of the uh, dishes here, but I want it to be kind of a nice complement that's fairly neutral. And I believe this is a fairly low alcohol wine, so it's not going to uh, accentuate any of the spice. I don't know how I feel about the Barbera call. Okay. 
But I mean, do you think it's similar to other things that you would like? I mean, oh yeah, I mean, I get the logic behind it, but at what point do you draw the line between doing what the customer says is their preference and then also maybe doing a disservice to something like green tea glass noodles? I don't think it's a disservice to this, but I think any kind of white wine that I would have brought him would have been more of a disservice to him than the red wine is to this course. But isn't it a disservice to him to bring him a wine that doesn't go well with the course? Uh, well, I think this comes. I think this comes back to guest preference, right? I mean, there's plenty of guests that want to drink what they want to drink, and I'm trying not to. I'm making sure that I'm not clashing with this course. Mm-hmm. But I don't think. I don't think there's a white wine that I could bring him that would make him happier than the red wine that I'm bringing him with this course. And I think the red wine is. It's a setup for the whole meal, but I don't think it's, no, I'm going to defend it. I'm good. Okay. I, I, I see the, the controversy here, but uh, I think he's respecting the, the father's wishes in some regard. I mean, at the end of the day, there's, you could take this a million different directions. They're open to trying new things, so you can do whatever the hell you want. But at the same time, he's trying to be sensitive. So I, I, yeah, it, I, it makes sense to me. Let me ask you a question though. Okay. When a table says they're open to new things, and specifically the the daughters of a younger generation say they're open to new things, do you think that the mom and dad are as open to new things as everyone else? I mean, they're in their early 60s. No, I, 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 I totally understand what you're saying, and it's not like I'm going to go and pour them some really fucked up orange wine from Jura. I understand what you're saying. All right, all right, Daniel. I'm excited to hear you piss off. I'm, I'm actually terrified now. To, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, so, all right. So uh, for course one, I chose Domaine Zinumbrecht Clothes Jebsel Pinot Gris. Yes, um, that's amazing. It's delicious. Well, I've never had this particular one, 1997. I'm not stoked about the, the uh, vinuousness, the age of this wine. Um, but my reasoning behind it, sort of like with avocado, the richness of it, right? Mm-hmm. Alsatian... Alsatian wines typically have some dry extract. They're rich. Uh, there's a carrot, lime, ginger dressing. So with, with ginger, lime, I generally think you need botrytis and maybe a little acidity, right? Um, I just want to clarify. You, you did say acidity, but you picked the Pinot Gris. That's <laughs> 20 well, the, well, years old. And, and old. Yeah, I know. Well, so that's, why I was, that's why I gave. That's why I gave a. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's why I gave the a disclaimer because I was like, I this wine seems so cool to me, but at the same time, it's like it's old. So yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So well, I was thinking. Here's the reason. So I was thinking. I've been I've been looking up trying to find the ABV on this wine, seeing if there might be a kiss of RS. I know they're fermented dry. It's hard to find out. I thought with the spicy watermelon, if there is a touch of RS, it could neutralize the spice. With the watercress, I thought there's some phenolic bitterness on Pinot Gris. Um, yeah, it's a cool wine. Is it the perfect pairing? No, I, I might go towards a, a barrel-aged Barbera if now reconsidering this. But I'd do a backflip if you serve me that wine. Just, just saying. It's a super cool wine, and you know, going back to the idea that these are novice wine drinkers, if you're at the table side and you're telling them about this wine and the age on it, I think the excitement of having such a cool rare bottle 
sells it to them, right? We'd go back to enthusiasm right. selling wine. So I think that it could potentially be an amazing pairing. What does no that question. bottle cost? 161. Which is totally reasonable for a wine that's 23 years old. Beyond that, also, I took the liberty of assuming, I wrote this down, one of the daughters is actually 23. So this is actually her birth year wine. Wow. Solid. Yeah. Cool shit. I love They're going to love it. My only concern would be, don't you think this would be showing some fairly oxidative notes by now? Oh, yes. I mean, so yeah. I wrote... Which I, I think with fresh salads, that would be a little challenging. It, it's probably, honestly, an awful pairing. I've not had it at 23 years old, but I've had it in its youth, and it is delightful. So, yeah, it's not perfect, but whatever. Solid wine, though. I feel confident in mine. It's definitely different than what everyone else picked. Um, I picked one bottle for the whole table, and it's Domaine Gaston Huey Lemont Vouvray Demi Sac 2005. Coming in at 96 bucks, I think that's a total steal. And let me justify it to you. High acid, got lime. We've got a lot of green notes here, very bright. Also, a touch of residual sugar will kind of mute the spiciness of the watermelon salad. And the father who likes big, heavy red wines, you know, kind of fruit forward red wines, I think he wouldn't mind something that has a touch of residual sugar to it. You know, why do people like things that are fruit forward? Well, it's a perception right. of ripeness and sweetness. And so while it's a white wine and not necessarily a red wine, I think it's going to have elements that he'll appreciate. And I don't think you're going to overpower flavors, you know, like green tea or, you know, Korean pear. I think... It, the wine will just highlight them. And it's a really cool way to start the meal. So what about mom who likes bone dry? Well, without knowing exactly what she enjoys about Savion Blanc, it could be the acid that she appreciates. And so Chenin Blanc is going to hit that marker yeah. for her. So, I mean, I'm I'm hitting kind of this fruit sweetness with dad. I'm hitting the high acid for mom. I mean, the girls don't really have too much preference. And then also for the guy that likes beer, I think wine that has a little bit of residual sugar inherently is a little bit more approachable. I love the choice, and I don't want to spoil it by saying I chose it later. The only caveat I have is that I don't think it's necessarily a good choice for the dad. I probably would have chosen something BTG to complement this because this is, while you say sweetness, you probably would enjoy it. This is five times more acid than he's ever had in his life. But the sweetness is, the sweetness is going to mute the perception of acid. He'll be fine. Also, the weight that he's used to doesn't match up to the wine. You guys are underestimating what this dad is able to enjoy. The preference isn't a demand. I've got something coming later that's right up his alley. Maybe he'll be able to recognize that I'm not going to start him out with Duckhorn Merlot. Yeah. This guy uh, stopped trying new things 15 years ago. I'm so excited for course two because my pairing is going to be the best pairing out of all of you. So, Oh, my God. Course two. Again, family style. Braised pork belly with sautéed rice cakes with bitter melon and Sichuan chili oil. This dish is spicy. Next is tempura fried crispy rock shrimp coated in chili mayo with walnuts. Sounds so delicious. And the last dish on this course is kimchi rice arancini with salmon roe and ponzu. So... Let's start with Daniel on this one. All right, I'm swinging big on this. Fried food, the texture, I, I always think effervescence. 
So I actually went champagne here. I think it's a cool way to to show the guests that champagne's not just an aperitif, but it's a, a an incredible pairing wine. I don't know how it's going to work with spicy, but I chose Jacques Salos Blanc de Blanc, the initial Grand Cru. We call the benchmark of oxidative champagne. So I think like the bruised fruit character, the opulence of the wine will pair well with the richness of the pork belly. And then it will texturally match like the uh, tempura shrimp and the arancini. Um, I was thinking in regards to fish eggs of the salmon row, I think like champagne and caviar is the best pairing on earth. So I was like, oh, fish eggs, champagne, let's do it. Can I say something? Fire away. I would never start with still wine and then move to bubbles after. I don't see any reason not to. This is this sounds great. I mean, you set this up so well. Oh, no, I'm not arguing that's a, a, not a good pairing. It very obviously is. The oxidative notes, the fried foods, textural intensity is being matched with the, the effervescence. But I couldn't imagine having still wine and then switching to bubbles mid-meal. And then I assume you're going to switch to still wine after this. It just feels out of order to me. I think it's okay to put anything anywhere if it works. And there's consent. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't understand why you wouldn't have paired the lighter, more vibrant option with the lighter and vibrant food and then paired the the more opulent and rich option with the more opulent and rich food. It just feels backwards to me. Well, I'm a backwards person and it's Jacques Salos is delicious. No, it's a good pairing. I'm trying to think of it, you know, looking at the sequence of the meal. This is why, because people have preconceived notions of what is and isn't okay. And I'm here to bend those preconceived notions. <laughs> champagne isn't just an aperitif. It pairs with everything. I could have done champagne for every course. I would have been fine with that. I'm here to spice things up. I think it's a killer pairing. Whatever. And I think one of the daughters is excited to have a guy who's willing to put anything anywhere. That's true. Jeffers. <laughs> uh, all right, let's hop to Jeffers. Uh, so I actually took your wine. I'm going to use the um, Huet Bouvray Demi-Sec here. Um, I think the sweetness is going to go great with the spice. I think the fact that it's definitely going to have some oxidation to it uh, goes well with things like walnuts and um, tempura fried things. going to go very well with the arancini as well. I love that wine. I'm sticking with my assertion, though, that the dad is going to continue to sip on his Barbera, especially with the braised pork belly. Okay, but see, don't you think this is getting boring for the dad? Uh, do you think the dad wants to be excited? I mean, maybe. I think dad is boring. I think, well, so there's plenty <laughs> of, there's been plenty of options for the dad to try stuff, and I'm going to make sure that he has a glass at any point. So there's a whole bottle of Vubre Demisec. There was a carafe of Kerner at the last. Thing. At any point, he can jump in and taste anything that he wants. The oxidative notes, I think, would be great with the fried food. So it's a good, it's a good, really good pairing. All right, Troy. Troy. So for the table, well, let's start with the mom again. That's why I started off last time. So moving on on her Nicolas Gillet flight, uh, she has a year older. This one's Claude Le Bergerie. For dad, the Buckland Zinfandel. For the beer drinker, Ale Industries Golden State of Mind Whitbeer. And then for the table, you have a domain. Uh, Huey, Claude Borg, Moulot, 1995. I don't know how I'm feeling about doing something different for everyone. That's cool. I mean, I, I mean, feel like I it's... think the individuals will be happy. Plus, they have a bottle that they can community share on every course. That's true. And then, yeah, so there's so many takes, right? So, like, 
cool. Like you could put cool vintage wine in front of them and they're going to be like, whoa, that's cool, right? You can put an individual drink in front of everybody and they're going to say, wow, how cool is it that the sommelier is catering to each of us? Like, that's a good point. I think no matter what you do, as long as you do it well, it's likely the guests are going to be happy. The problem with one bottle on the table for each course is somebody's getting the shaft on every course. Or somebody's feeling like they're not, it's not as special. Somebody's they're getting screwed, whether it's the food, a guest, multiple guests. Just because somebody enjoys heavy red wine doesn't mean they won't be able to enjoy a champagne like in Daniel's case. I, I think that the the Barbera that, that Jeffers is doing goes much better with this course than the last one. But it's like, are they really having an amazing experience if you're pairing a wine that doesn't go with the food? I just, I don't know. You're tailoring it to them. I'm tailoring it to them, but also to the meal. I am tailoring it to my specific preferences and telling them that they should enjoy it. All right, here comes my pairing. I know you guys are not going to like this. I went with Close Bone Tradition Rosé from... Côte de Provence 2016. Let me tell you about this rosé and why I picked it. It's aged on its leaves under a film of yeast for a year before it's bottled. So it has a really, really deep, intense yeast characteristic to it, in addition to having beautiful red fruit characters. I think that that's the perfect wine for this course. Rosé has such broad pairing capabilities because of its addition of a little bit of skin contact, but the retention of acidity from not having too much skin contact. So I think the rosé is perfect with the braised pork belly. Um, I don't think it'll overwhelm the spiciness of the Szechuan oil. I think when you're having fried, crispy shrimp, this rosé just feels right. And the same thing with the arancini. And I also think that it'll stand up to the salmon roe, that kind of viscous oiliness. It'll cut through that a little bit. Um, yeah, I think it's the perfect pairing for this. And I know it's rosé, and I know that, you know, the husband and the dad maybe aren't stoked on rosé, but it's... Well, they should be. They should be, because this rosé is Rick. so badass, and for 67 bucks on this list, it's a total steal. I think the dad's going to feel really uh, just railed on this. Emasculated. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but it, we're challenging his toxic He's masculinity. Gonna, yeah, exactly. He's got a bunch of daughters. He's got to get used to drinking rosé. True, but he's he's expressed that he likes full-bodied, rich red wines, and so far he's gotten a sweet white and rosé. I'm hoping, I'm hoping you're going to make him happy before he pays the tip. There are things to extract from somebody liking rich, fruit-forward red wines, other than I can only serve them fruit-forward red wines. Why do people like rich, fruit-forward red wines? They like ripeness, or they like aromatic intensity, and then I can use those different things and apply them to other wines that I think would go well with the food. Maybe I'm a little uh, out of touch here, but I feel like nine out of ten dads who like rich red wines might disagree. Yeah, I totally agree with Troy on this one. This is a sounds good on paper, doesn't work in reality situation. I really feel like the dad is going to find something that he likes about both my first and second course pairing, even though they're not exactly what he claims he enjoys. Have you met a dad in his 60s who wants his mind changed about wine? He has said that they're open to trying new things. And so I'm, I, I specifically picked things that I think kind of check one or two boxes for each person. You know, and the, the yeast contact for the husband who likes beer. I mean, I just, to me, it seems like the most well-rounded choice. Boom. Okay. Huh. That, it's moving on to, to course three, unless anybody, anybody else wants to shit on what I just did. <laughs> I think you did a, an outstanding job, and I'm proud of you. Thank you, Daniel. 
All right, course three. I struggled with pairing this course so, so much. Um, okay, so cornflake Korean fried chicken with grapefruit gojujang glaze. Gojujang is a pepper, and the glaze is on the side. So the chicken itself is not spicy. The glaze is, and so it's an optional addition to the chicken. You also have lobster fried rice, and then you have mapa tofu, which is tofu with fermented chili paste and Szechuan spice. Szechuan spice is um, what's known as mala, mala spice. It's a sensation of numbness, and it's not necessarily spicy, but it it creates that sensation on the palate. Um, all three of these dishes are served with an array of fermented and pickled vegetables. Uh, think fermented mustard greens, kimchi, and pickled daikon. So that's kind of where we're at for course three. This is the last savory course of the meal. So I'm expecting some blowout wines here. <laughs> okay. Um, so I took the liberty of breaking this course up into two courses. Um, so I'm going to take the first three things, which is um, the cornflake fried chicken, the lobster fried rice, and the mapa tofu as being like one part, and then kind of the pickled and fermented vegetables as kind of being an intermezzo. Uh, and I paired them separately. Oh, so the okay. first uh, three things, when I think of fried chicken, lobster fried rice, and mapa tofu, these are very comfort foods, in my opinion. Mapa tofu specifically is kind of, when it's done vegetarian, like we just said that it is, it's kind of like the vegetarian equivalent of chicken wings, kind of. It's like easy, it's comfortable, it's a little spicy. Um, there's a textural element to the chili paste and the Szechuan spice. Like it's not just, I've never had it where that, uh, those, um, spices were smooth. They're always kind of gritty and, and definitely textural. Um, and for all those reasons, um, I am going to pair that part of the course with uh, North coast scrimshaw Pilsner. I'm bringing out three 12 ounce bottles and a bunch of little glasses. And we're going to kind of make this just kind of fun. It's partly to make the son-in-law feel a little bit included and like he's steering the ship for a minute but i also feel like those the super clean pilsner is going to go great with kind of this comfort food that's going on with the first part of this course and then for the second part of the course the fermented and pickled vegetables i just wanted kind of a fairly neutral wine here so i uh chose uh muscadet from oborg for the table to share and once again if the dad is still has some barbarity left he's still drinking that I fucking loved that. That was great. I love the idea of doing beer for a comfort food course. Wow. I cool. love I love the emotion behind that that pairing and it's very whimsical and very fun and when you do something fun like we're all going to drink some beer, you know, at this last course and just talk and share food. That's so beautiful. Wow. That was really good. So cool. All right, Troy. You're up. All right, so Mother, Nicolas Gillet Flight, she's got Coulé de Serrant. For the table, I've got a bottle of 98 Alsatian Domaine Remy Gressier uh, Weeblesburg. Ooh. For Dad, we got a bottle of, or a glass of uh, Corsellers Cab from California. And then for the beer drinker, Rodenbach Flanders Red Ale. Nice, I like that ale selection. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Alsatian? I don't know that. I don't know that. Yeah, it's, it's an off dry uh, Riesling. I honestly didn't know a whole lot about it, but, you know, 98, it's got oxidation, it's Riesling, so it's still got acid. This is your second Riesling. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, different style uh, from, from Germany, Cabinet, to Alsace, but for sure. All right, Daniel. Yeah, I actually 
so on this course, I brought two bottles out to uh, make nice. sure everyone got enough enough booze. And it's the JJ Prum Veliner Sunner cabinet that Troy used earlier. I was thinking KFC or Korean, Korean fried chicken. I think Riesling and Korean fried chicken. Very much like champagne and caviar is like the best pairing. With pickles, I think the acidity of the Riesling can stand up to it. Beyond that, though, it, you know, my style is very much about showing the wine. Um, so I thought maybe this would be a cool bottle to present to them after they've had a few things to drink. They're interested in wine at this point. It's an iconic producer. And then you can talk about like the sundial vineyards of Mosul. I've noticed when I do wine pairings, the guests really do seem to enjoy the story. You give them a reasoning yeah. why the pair as well. You tell them, you give them context of, of the culture it comes from, but then you even make them seem maybe even cooler than they are. Yeah. So that was my thinking. Everyone's boosted up a little bit. It'll pair well and you can tell an awesome story. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of this Pygmalion logic where the characteristics that you attribute to the wine, all of a sudden the wine becomes that for the guest. I think that's that's totally mm -hmm. true. Who's going to rain on my parade? No one's raining. No, I know. I'm not raining. I'm not raining. Uh, I was just waiting for Troy or Jeffers. No, no it's, good. It's, it's sunny and warm over here. All right. Uh, here comes my dad wine. And I'm going to justify this before you all crucify me, okay? I went with, drum roll please, Turley Rattlesnake Ridge Zinfandel from Howl Mountain in Napa Valley 2015. All right, I'm going. <laughs> here's here's my justification. <laughs> right, here's my justification. My reasoning behind this is that the Zinfandel is going to be ripe. Um, even though this is mountain fruit, I think it's still going to have uh, that ripeness that I think will be nice with the meal. It potentially will have a little bit of residual sugar to it. And it, I think this is a, a bold kind of ending to the meal, right? I mean, you've got really intense flavors here, the mapa tofu, the Korean fried chicken, the lobster fried rice. I think when you're having all this rich food, you want an equally rich wine. This is going to make dad really happy. And I think it's going to be um, an interesting wine for everybody else to try. I struggled with this because I was worried about the alcohol content clashing with the gojujan. But since it's on the side, I don't know if people would really be that offended I don't think people would be offended by the pairing at all. All right, now you can crucify me. No, you already said the thing, which is alcohol, so. Do you know what the alcohol is? I imagine it's probably like 15%. I imagine that it's, well, I don't I don't know with it being mountain fruit, the fruit might, might not be as, as we're, ripe. We're, and, and... Yeah, I think it's around 15 with Turley and mountain fruit. Mountain fruit usually has a little higher alcohol, I think. I'm, I mean, I'm not mad at this. I mean, I I stand by this pairing, I think. I was just getting shit on for not doing anything for the dad and <laughs> no, it's true. We just we're gonna shit on you no matter what it sounds like, but I we feel love like it. now that I'm finally doing <laughs> something for the dad, with arguably I think this course is the one I mean, maybe course two, but if you're gonna put Turley's Infidel with any of these courses, I think that it won't be terrible yeah. with this one. Especially if That's it's fair. gonna have that touch of residual sugar to it. I think this is a, a winning wine for the setting and for the food given given that I was a little, I mean, it's, it's not the best wine for fermented and pickled vegetables. Obviously it's clearly not the best wine for fried chicken either, but I think you can make a case for it. Yeah, I dig it. You dig it? I dig it. You really dig it. Sure. I'm on board. I don't believe you. 
you've been catering to everybody else. They probably all have a little bit of white wine left if that's if they need to fall back. And this is a great way to explore something new. I mean, all of everybody else at the table besides the dad is open to new things. Why not? Okay, cool. Were you were you hoping for more contentiousness or? I think I was worried about this pairing because I thought you guys were just gonna crap on me for serving California Zinfandel. Laura likes to fight, is what it is. No, I don't like to fight. I do enjoy spirited debate. So now we're on to dessert. For dessert, the table is getting taro root ice cream. For those of you who don't know the flavor profile of taro, it's sweet, creamy, think vanilla. Also, they're getting shaved ice with sweet red bean topped with sweetened condensed milk. So you've got two cold desserts. Very, very sweet taro and red bean are your flavor profiles here. So taro is also a little bit earthy, right? I think that's... Yeah, the there's a touch. Think think of it in, in the sense of like sweet potato. Yeah, it's like a purple... I mean, the closest thing is purple sweet potato. Obviously, it's not the same, but... Right. There's definitely some root vegetable characteristic that doesn't go away even when you make it into a dessert. Right. All right, Troy. Cool. So for the table, I got a bottle of La Cadrina Asti Spumanti. And then for dad, I got a glass of uh, 1980 Wars Port. I, I don't have thoughts or comments because I'm so excited to hear what Daniel has to say. Because he's really <laughs> hyping it up and I really want to... I hope it's not what I Dude, chose, but sorry. I'd be super excited if it was. It, did you did you choose something alcoholic or no? I chose something with alcohol, yeah. I chose something non-alcoholic. Oh, that would be more Okay, all right, Daniel. So this might be absolutely disgusting, but... <laughs> Good way to frame it. It sounds cool. And that is uh, the Navarro Gewürztraminer grape juice. I brought everyone a little bit of grape juice. I figure the sweetness of it and the floral nature would pair well against, uh, I think, like red bean. We had it not long ago. Found that it was like starchy and sweet, but not super sweet, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely less sweet than traditional American. Than a traditional like American type thing. So I thought I thought the Gewürztraminer grape juice being floral, probably sweet. Um, yeah, I felt like it would be a cool pairing against the dessert. I don't know what else to say about that. That's a really interesting move. Is it an interesting move? It's like, who, who, how often do you drink grape juice from, from you know what I mean? You from wine grapes? I think it, yeah, from wine it, grapes. It, it definitely it, is cool. It's, it's a cool pairing. People are like, oh, this is, you know, it's not Welch's. It's, I think it's a fucking cool idea. I mean, my only thing would be that's very fruity. And you don't have any fruit going on here. Yeah, I mean, it could be disgusting. That's why I gave a, the uh, disclaimer at the beginning of this. But I thought, hey, hey, it's worth a shot. And I would try, I would love to try that. I think it's also one of those things where people have preconceived notions, right? Oh, I thought we were going to get wine. It's like, well, you're getting pre-wine. You're getting grape juice. And I'm respecting your price point and you're having a, you're having a blast. Fun. Daniel's like, I used up all your money on the other three courses. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's definitely fun. My only thing is when you're talking about sweetened condensed milk and red bean and taro, these are kind of warmer, starchier, richer flavors. Well, I think we all know that the best time for a wine pairing to blow up in your face is right before the guest gets the check. That's definitely <laughs> the best. <laughs> all, right, all right, Jeffers. Uh, so the, for the pairing, I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to break up the dessert and the dessert wine into two different kind of courses, and I'll tell you why in a second. And the other is, um, I'm sure that a meal like this with his daughters that are all grown up is making the dad feel older. So uh, I'm going to show him that old things can still be really vibrant. And oh so 
the dad is getting a pour of the Blandy's uh, 1985 Malmsey, oh. uh, which I think the like kind of sweet Madeira will go really well with the, kind of the earthier flavors from both the taro root and the red bean. And then my other part of the story is I feel like there's a lot of times that we as Americans who have been conditioned to love sweet things at the end of the meal are kind of underwhelmed by Asian desserts, which are usually not super sweet mm-hmm. uh, and can be more earthy. Um, so after the shaved ice with red bean and the taro root ice cream, which may leave you with a little bit of a sweet tooth left, uh, I'm bringing out a bottle of uh, 1995 uh, Giuseppe Quintarelli Recioto, and using uh-huh. every using every last dollar of my budget to do so because it's like too too fitty. I love how you did that. So cool. That was really fun. You and I were kind of on a similar wavelength. I kind of struggled with this because I was like, do I want to do something really ballsy? And I was originally thinking what might be cool. This is not what I chose to pair, but it might be cool to do some bourbon. And hear me out. I mean, this kind of toasted vanilla flavor I thought would be interesting with the desserts. But then I realized since they were both cold, I probably wanted to serve something that would be served slightly chilled and I, I it just didn't feel like everyone at the table would enjoy that so i stepped away from that and i ended up going with vinsanto i think vinsanto is gonna be great with the with the yeah. so a glass of vinsanto for everyone at the table the oxidative notes this idea of kind of a vanilla nutty flavor with this sweet and condensed milk on its way to being caramel in a sense and so that was kind of my logic there. I don't think it'll overpower the red bean. And I, th- I think for the taro ice cream, just kind of that rich, earthy thing. It, to me, that felt like the best choice because I was also thinking about doing something like a beer and Auschleser. But that's more that's more fruity and I would pair that more with orange desserts or something that's more fruit forward. And so this is <laughs> this went through my head. This is closer to like chocolate for me than it is to like a lemon tart. So that was kind of my logic that I was going to stick towards something that was more oxidative and nutty and rich instead of going for the fruit. I dig that. And I love Insanto. I love Insanto. I love Insanto so much. And why is the dad going to love the Insanto? Well, I mean, I think the sugar, the oxidation, well, why is he going to like Malmsey? Uh, I mean, I think it's rich. I think it's got a little sweet to it. I think it's a good pairing, but I'm just, at, I wasn't looking to, I was more looking for clarification. I wasn't meaning to be contrarian. Well, I mean, I think for all the same reasons that you say he would like the moms, he would be the same with the Vinsanto, the oxidation. I mean, I, I think he'll enjoy something that's sweet and this is a lot richer and perhaps lower in acid than going for like a sauternes or a tokai. Um, I just think it's a little bit more opulent. Yeah. I mean, I also, it came into my mind to do an Amaro. They didn't have an Amaro that had enough residual sugar for me to justify pairing it with a dessert. But I think something like this would be cool with Averna as well. Yeah, or Chio Charo. I agree with that, yeah. Yeah. I, I probably would have gone there too if I had it available to me. But just going off of this list i'm on board okay so whose pairing did you think was best and why 
I'm going to go ahead and vote for Troy. And the reason is because I think he made it the most personalized experience for each guest. So Troy, you get three extra bite points. <laughs> I needed them. <laughs> I, I am imagining, so I'm imagining the restaurants cranking and Troy's the floor some, and he's, he has overwhelmed himself with work and he's crushing yeah. it and he's doing it for the guest. He is sacrificing his mental health. And I think for that reason, and because the pairings are, are catering to each individual. I, yeah, I'd probably vote Troy. Nice. Troy, who are you voting for? I think I go for, uh, for Weber. My man. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I just like the, f the flow of his meal and the, the wines just worked well. I mean, they all, you guys all did a killer job and banging job. I don't know why Daniels is jumping out my mind, but. Yeah. I'm actually going to vote for Jeffers. He really got me with the beer pairing at the end. It just shows there was so much thought put into, you know, what kind of emotion does each course evoke? And then also, mm -hmm. I think that you played into what Troy did with, you know, creating individual experiences while also kind of keeping to the family style nature of the meal. I think I'm going to have to give it to Jeffers on this one. Yay. Two yeah. So I guess that puts Troy in first place and then Daniel and Jeffers tie for second place and then. Me with my rosé in third. Laura, that just means you get five bright stellar points. I Oh, no. I, I, I'm starting to think that maybe the more bright points, the, the worse it, it is. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for a cease and desist from bright sellers. Oh, my God, for sure. We literally bring them up every episode. <laughs> well, Laura, I would marketing. say, Good marketing. as the person yeah. who runs this podcast, you can manipulate the scores and give yourself the highest rating because there's nothing unethical about that. Oh my God, Arrested. here we go. A lot of people, I think, agree with me. I don't have proof because no one's commented saying that, but I bet you a lot of people agree with my stance on Vivino. I can't back that up with any <laughs> proof, but... Just a feeling that you have when you wake up in the morning? I just have a feeling that people are agreeing with me. Can we get some comments on Reddit and Guildsome about who they think won the, the pairing contest? Yes, please. Um, let us know who you think won the pairing contest. Please, just someone give me some credit for that rosé pairing, which I'm really proud of. <laughs> I want to know everybody's total still, what their bill was. Oh, good point. Yes. Okay, so, where, so the budget was $700 for the table. I came in at 522 I came in at 6.57, and that was largely due to blowing it out on the um, Recioto for the final course. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't think mine was too bad, considering everything that wound up on the table. I was at 6.21. That's damn good for having done such a personalized experience for everyone. I was at 6.89. Bam. <laughs> right and, on and the how much of that was Solos? Dude, that's how I roll, though. Like, you give me... Well, this is so then there's you're talking about revenue for the restaurant, right? You're trying to balance it out. That's so a good I don't want to leave I don't want to leave money on the table if I don't have to. Can I ask you when we post it on like Reddit and Gilson, can you post the food thing? Because I think we just yeah. it quickly. But I think if we want people to really kind of immerse in that, it'd be nice for them to be able to see the courses. The oh, 100 percent. So I'll. When I, in the guilds on post, I'll put the menu. And then also, again, the wine list was from Foreign Cinema. We use the by the glass list in addition to the bottle list. So if you're interested in 
doing it yourself because it's it's actually a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun doing it. So um, yeah, if you're interested in doing that, and then you can tell us why your pairing is better than any of ours. Okay, so I think that that's gonna do it for the food and wine pairing episode. That was fun. It was fun. Yeah, it was super fun. I really liked the kind of the prep, and I loved hearing the different takes you guys had on. I guess topic for next time, TBD, but I can guarantee you that it will be interesting. We will be opinionated about it, and Jeffers and I will disagree over it, no matter what it is. (laughs) Almost certainly. Almost certainly. So that's going to do it. Congratulations to Troy for having the best pairing out of all of us. Yay. Congrats, buddy. You did it. You're an accomplished sommelier. It's very obvious. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, see y'all next time. That's going to be it. Cut. Woohoo! The lights are blinking. I'm thinking it's all over when I go out drinking. Oh, making my mind slow. That's why I don't with the big four. Oh, bro, I got to maintain. Cause I-